Want to see? Sure. Hey, what? Hey. Could have done that to you a couple of months back. Yep. It's time, isn't it? Time for me to put on the uniform. To join you. Out there. No. Not yet. You're not ready. Come on, Bruce. You need me. It's not that straightforward, Tim. You're a smart kid. You made the connection between Batman and Bruce Wayne. Something I made sure was almost impossible. But that doesn't give you the right to claim partnership. Bruce, I'm in a unique position to help you. Because your father's estate backs onto mine? Because I did what you told me. I learned from the masters who taught you. I've had two partners already. Dick Grayson left to become Nightwing. I hardly see him anymore. Jason Todd was killed by the Joker. This time I'll need to be sure. You'll have to prove you're ready. Allow your skills to mature. Share them with Jean-Paul Valley. You both have potential, but you must learn to exercise patience. That signal's shining over the city. I'll catch you later. Car door. But Bruce, I am ready. I can be Robin. I'm ready. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. I am your host, Rob Myers, and this podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. And this year in 2015, Robin is celebrating his 75th anniversary, so it's been a cool year. It's been a little bit of a slow burn for Robin. I think in my wildest dreams, I was like, man, we're going to get the 75th treatment just like Batman did. Not really, uh, but stuff is starting to come out, and... Uh, you remember from the last episode that I had done, we talked about Batman Arkham Knight, and I can't remember if I said it on the podcast or not, but I really kind of felt like it was kind of a tip to the hat to Robin's 75th anniversary. I know it was a big you know, Batman story, obviously, but you had the Arkham Knight there, which I don't think I have to say spoilers anymore. If you've heard it already, you've played the game. If not, spoilers, three, two, one. The Arkham Knight is Jason Todd. Surprise, surprise. Red Hood. What? I didn't know that. No, I'm just <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and I just spoiled it from Terrence. <laughs> oh, man. I thought it was Alfred. Oh, well, gosh. I think that's the way they were going to go. Uh, on this episode, as you just heard, we've got Terrence uh, back with us. So, uh, you know, Nightwing was in the game, and we had Tim Drake. So I thought it was a nice, full 
Robin cast, but uh, we're coming back to the comics, and this is where the podcast were my first initial notions. I think Terrence and I even talked about it um, as we were kind of branching off from the Bat fans of like, wouldn't it be kind of cool to do a Tim Drake podcast and trying to figure out where where I or he or we were going to start that thing. And my first thought was like, well, let's just start it at Robin one. Well, Robin one starts right at the, just right after the climax of nightfall. And it's like, well, there's no history there. It's, you know, Jean Paul, uh, Batman and Robin fighting in the bat cave. I thought, well, that's a really kind of an awkward spot to start. So I kept backing it up and backing it up until, you know, you've listened to now 27 some odd, uh, episodes into the podcast, and I thought it was really cool to go through the origin and so we can figure out who Tim Drake was and all of that. This is where um, I think I know for me is where I was reading Batman comics, but it wasn't something that um, became, I guess, obsession is a word my wife would use, but where I've got to buy comics weekly or whenever these came out. You know, I you know, was there for, you know, Robin one and Robin two, the Joker's wild and Robin three and seeing, uh, I remember the lonely place of dying. It's still one of my favorite books, but as far as something that hit me over the head, it was the start of the nightfall series. Um, I think if I'm not putting words in Terrence's mouth, when we were on the bat fans podcast, I think all of us on there were really kind of saying that nightfall was, was the first major thing that a lot of us can remember, reading in its entirety uh where did you come into the nightfall like for me um i didn't the issues we're looking at today are 488 and 489 i know we got some other things to talk about but i just kind of wanted to get into this just a little bit where did you come into the nightfall series did you start right from the beginning terrence or were you kind of midway like where was your do you remember what your first issue was Oh, yeah, no, because I was right in the beginning because I actually started reading uh, um, Batman comics with Death in the Family. Uh, that was what got me into it. And um, so I had bought the trade paperback right when it had come out. And then I had bought um, issue 430, the next issue that was out after Death in the Family, when that came out. So I had been reading pretty steadily all the way from you know issue 430 every month. And then I had gone back and bought the back issues to to about issue 400 of Batman and then whatever the corresponding numbers were with Detective. So I've been reading this all along and kind of, you know, comics were huge right here in 92, 93. Mm-hmm. Um, 92 is when Image Comics came out um, and it was, you know, huge. So I was reading things like Wizard and um, some other comic book um, publications. So I had known right about 488. I knew... Batman was getting a new suit, I, and there'd spent some leaked versions of the the Asbat suit. And I remember I had one picture of it hanging up in my basement. But, but at around 488, the Nightfall thing hadn't exploded yet. It hadn't gotten really big. Superman was really big. Superman right. was stealing all the headlines: death of Superman and Doomsday and funeral for a friend. And um, the these issues were cool because if people were reading Batman every month, we had these issues. We knew something was coming. I didn't know if it was going to be John Paul Valley or Jean Paul Valley. I always call him John, like Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, <laughs> that's how I do it. Uh, but uh, I hear a lot of people call him Gene. Uh, but um, I didn't know if it was he was actually going to take over the mantle of Batman and be in the new costume 
or if it was just sort of they were trying to throw a red herring in there and trick us and make you think it's going to be him, but it was really going to be Bruce. And you knew something was coming up with Bane and an injury was coming up, and I kind of had some thoughts that maybe the costume, the new costume was to compensate for his injury. But So we knew something was brewing. We knew it was in the works. We knew it was coming along. It hadn't exploded yet. So people like me who had bought 488 and 489 on the shelf um, – couple months later when it did explode and people were buying Nightfall watched as these issues just soared in price and <laughs> thought we'd all be multi-millionaires which kind of <laughs> leads into something I know you want to say later but I was yeah. very proud that I bought this when it came out and wished I'd bought 10 copies and now I'm glad I only have one copy but uh, yes, yes. Yeah, but that's where I, I came in I was I was along for the ride all from the start um, not having I was a procrastinator. I think I'm always a procrastinator. But um, I didn't get my license till right away. Um, I think it was towards the beginning of my senior year of high school. So that would have been uh, the 92-93 school year, graduating in 93. So um, I was still relying on you know mom and dad when it was grocery time to go into town and then buy some books. So I didn't have a place you know locally in my town that's... I looked up the census. It's uh, 492 people in the town yeah, wow. that, I, that I live. So there's no comic book shop here. You've got to drive 15 miles into town to to go pick up books. Or back in the day, you could get them at 7-Eleven or you know, grocery stores. You could pick up comics rather than opposed to a comic shop. But I bought comics when I had the chance, but I had these weird intermittent you know, holes. So I never picked up this particular issue until um, I think we were into like the third part of Nightfall. And I started, once I found a local comic book shop, I was like, well, where did this, you know, where did it start? And the guy was like, he gave me like a map. He wrote down all the books. Like, this is where the seeds kind of start. And this is where Azrael gets his training. And uh, like you said, you know, we're going to buy all these books. We're going to be millionaire. Now, I bought this book, 488, a year after it came out, almost a year to the day. It was it was that close. Uh, the cover price on this book is $1.25. And if you've looked at my Facebook page on the Robin Everyone Loves the Drake or um, I guess I used to be called Rob's Rogues, but you, uh, not YouTube, but Facebook says, no, we need to know who you really are. So now it's under Robert Myers. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I posted uh, – I still had it in the bag that they had it in. I bought this book from that comic shop for a whopping seventeen dollars and fifty cents. Seventeen dollars and fifty cents, and I was like, "This must be a key issue." And then, you know, I'd kind of forgotten about it as I'm doing the podcast, and I know, okay, I'm going to be doing this and this. I pull this out, you know, two weeks ago to kind of start doing some notes about it, and I see the sticker price on it. I'm like, I can't believe I paid 17 bucks as being, I think at that time I was graduated from high school. So, you know, every single cent is worth, (laughs) Yeah, that's gas. That's for money for the girlfriend and all that stuff. And if you go onto eBay right now, you can buy this book for three bucks. (laughs) And you know, the thing was back then you're thinking to yourself, because I saw this, well, if it's out a year and it's seventeen fifty now, oh, after, yeah. yeah, imagine what it'll be in 10 years. Imagine when I'm 40 in 2015 what it'll be. <laughs> I can buy a Ferrari with this book. You know, Let me pick up two. Yeah. And I, I, was, I read it once and put it away. 
And the guy was like, be careful when you're reading that if you're planning on pulling it out. I mean, it, it was still – I just recently rebagged it because um, the, you know, the old bag was kind of torn and tattered um, around the edges where I had just peeled it off once and I tore the bag. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I ruined the integrity of the, of the bag. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> now, now being older, I'm like, that's just a bag he slipped a book in. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think I showed one of my friends he wanted to hold it. I'm like, you see what I paid for this? Do you know what this <laughs> yeah. is going to be worth in 2000? 15, I'm going to buy seven houses with this book. <laughs> yeah, buy a flying DeLorean. Yeah. That's right. Um, before we continue on in our uh, nightfall discussion, we'll, we'll get there. Um, some other big news has come up if you've been living under a rock, and I'm, I'm sure you have. Um, of course, we've got the Batman versus Superman and the Suicide Squad trailers. Arkham Knight has now been out, and the wait is over. Um, I like that we're getting some DLCs for the next six months, um, which will be kind of cool. Um, Terrence, have you seen uh, both trailers for um, Batman v Superman and uh, Suicide Squad both? Yeah, about a thousand times each. Uh, yeah, it's it's um, pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, the the thing, my number one thing I took away, which I was psyched about, was at Comic Con the way DC attacked Marvel and attacked Marvel movies. It was just like we're going after them. I think the director of Suicide Squad said, "Forget about good versus evil. It's bad versus evil," and yeah. just attacked them all. And I was like, right on, because I. I've enjoyed watching the Marvel movies, but I don't think they're great. At the best, they're very good, but they they take the safe road. They go for the you know, let's beat up a bunch of robots. Uh, you know, I I think the best one was Captain America: Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the Thor movies kind of put me to sleep. You know, but. I, They've been good, but not great. And I, yeah, I love that DC is just going after them. And you know, even if they fail, I just I I much prefer an epic fail than like the timid mouse. You know, and um, it it looks great. And I think the um, the number one thing that I took away for this podcast is that Robin costume in the oh. uh, and. And you said in the your last podcast I was listening to, and you described in Arkham Knight the bunker that they kind of had the prisoners in. You you called it a pseudo Batcave like type place, and I was like, "That's genius!" I'm like, "That's my decorating style." Because like <laughs> I watch my wife watches like HGTV, and they're like, "Oh, my style is new, modern, classic, blah blah." And I'm like, "What are they talking? I don't have a style." And now I'm like, "That's my style, pseudo Batcave like type place. That's what I've always <laughs> wanted. That's what I imagined my first apartment would be." Yeah. Um, and so that Robin costume looks awesome. And but this, I, my one pet peeve I have, I've heard this a couple times because he's holding some kind of like weapon. I don't know if it's a type like the bow staff or the crowbar. Jason Todd was not beaten to death by the Joker with a crowbar. I've heard like eight people say, "Oh, Joker beat." Uh, you know, Jason Todd to death with a crowbar. He he beat him with a crowbar, Comma. but he was still alive. He died in the explosion afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Now maybe he would have died of internal injuries after. That's fine, but they forget about that explosion. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, but a buddy um, of mine always says it's all about the comma. You know, it's where yeah. you put the comma is going to make a big deal. The the Joker beat Jason Todd with a crowbar, comma, and then died in the explosion. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And so. Um, the but you know I don't know how they're going with that. My f- first thought I want to hug the conversation here was that they would just have one Robin in the movie. They wouldn't do the Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake kind of uh, thing just because make it simple, you know, for the general public. But 
Zack Snyder is not afraid of making things complicated and adding a lot. If you watch Watchmen or even Man of Steel, there's a lot in it's thick. So I don't think he'd be afraid of the multiple Robin thing. And then there's a comment, Who's Still Left by Bruce Wayne. And uh, some rumors floating around about who exactly the Joker is. So I'm I'm psyched by that costume, and I'm psyched by the fact that we might have multiple Robins. I I think Zack Snyder's son is playing Dick Grayson, which would uh, you know um, I, I don't know. It just that's my thoughts. What, what were you thinking about that costume? Uh, the costume I thought was cool at first. I thought you know like in the comics. Real suspension of disbelief. You know, you have the Jason Taub memorial, and the costume is just floating in this case. The mask is floating, and the cape is, you know, the tunic is floating. In this, in a practical sense, when you see it in uh, the BVS uh, trailer, it looks like the mask is, you know, being held in the back by somewhere to give the appearance of floating. So initially I thought, well, that's not really a staff. It's probably just a metal bar that's going across the gloves hold on to, so it gives the appearance of you know the floatingness but you know after looking at the trailer you know like you said 5,000 times you do kind of see that maybe it is a staff it's got like a weird blade on it um hearing rumors that uh Dick Grayson is already dead um that maybe there is no Jason Todd that he's quote-unquote dead that maybe he's actually the Joker which I really hope they don't do that again there's you know you can spend hours going on um, online looking up all the fan theories. But like you said about Zack Snyder, he's... And I think David Ayer has said it too, that they embrace the continuity and they want you to go... They want you to have the same experience of going to the movie and going, that's exactly who that character is supposed to be. The story may be a little bit different. You know, we got a Batman that's much older than the rest of the Justice League, which at first I was like, nah, I don't know if I want, you know, a Batman closer to the end of his rope and Superman just starting at the beginning of his rope. But it it kind of makes sense. I got from a little <laughs> tangent there. Um, some people are under the impression that, you know, that uh, Zack Snyder's son, who I guess he played a young Rorschach in um, uh, The Watchmen, and he played a young Leonidas in 300. So uh, Snyder is constantly throwing his son in there. So if he is Robin or in a flashback scene, I think that would be uh, pretty cool. There's some uh, Photoshop um, work being done on the Internet where somebody has superimposed uh, Zack Snyder's son Eli in that Robin costume and brightened up the colors and oh, cool. put that rain effect on it and uh, put him next to a Ben Affleck Batman. It looks really cool if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm torn. Um, you know, somebody like my mother who who likes superheroes. If I said the name Jason Todd to her, she's not going to have any idea who Jason Todd is. Uh, she may know who Tim Drake is because I've talked about him enough as a kid. But as I I think sometimes comic book fans get a little I think too cheesed off and going, That's not right, you can't do that, you know. The general populace that's gonna go watch these movies may not know that Batman's had, you know, four Robins and you know, he has this, his the current Robin is his son. They they're not gonna know that. So to just have the weight of like, oh my gosh, the Joker killed Robin you know, it's kind of like the Dark Knight Rises for those people that were like, oh, John Blake's first name is Robin. Isn't that pretty cool? And meanwhile, the comic book fan of me is going, oh, that's not right, you know. Yeah. Um, 
part of a buddy of mine says, then the general populace needs to know that, you know, the Robin that died is in fact Jason Todd. So I'm kind of like, yeah. And I would hope that if, if it is Jason Todd, then that means, okay, Dick Grayson's out there. Dick's not dead. And that maybe the solo Batman film will be kind of like under the red hood. So I'm just excited, uh, to see that there was a Robin, but at the same time, I was like, is that a cop-out to be like, okay, the fans have been asking for a Robin. Batman did have a Robin, but we're just going to kill him before you even see him, so that way we don't have to deal with the functionality of how Batman and Robin work together on a screen. So that's yeah. that, that's that's my... I'm like, going into the Arkham games, it's like, it works. Uh, the, they're like, how is the, responsible is that for Batman to have a... 13 year old running around it's like you don't do him as a 13 year old you do him as a 20 something a 19 you know just out of high school type deal and i think it works if you take the subject matter seriously the audience is going to take it seriously and go oh, okay i believe it yeah you know um i hope we do get to see some batman and robin together um you know my first thought like i said i thought they just sort of combine all the robins together to make it simple right uh it's it's there's that rumor floating around that jared leto is actually jason todd and there's some precedent for robin turning into the joker in you know the dark knight right um not get my dark knights here (laughs) frank miller's dark knight returns part two which i think is called the dark knight strikes again or something like that dick grayson ends up being a joker or something i I hated that book i don't really same here really know all of it but somehow in the end dick grayson is joker and or new joker and then there's also um the um batman animated movie um return of the joker where tim drake probably the worst moment of tim drake history oh, where he's yeah. like a fat <laughs> overweight uh, construction worker <laughs> sitting in front of a tv eating a tv dinner uh but uh it turns out to be the joker as well so so there's a little bit of precedent for it and some people were trying to put some connections how you know jason todd um becoming the Arkham Knight and he got a J branded on his cheek and the Joker's got a tattoo of a J on his cheek. Um, so I could, I could kind of see that. Um, and my one thought was that if somehow Dick Grayson's in it alive or dead, Jason Todd becomes, um, the Joker, which I'm fine with. I think that's a cool twist. Batman's older. He's 45. They say in this movie in five years, he'll be 50. Maybe there's room for the third robin there's room for tim drake and then 10 years from now or 12 years from now if they're still continuing this universe tim drake could take over the role as batman in the dc universe movies um as a tim drake fan that's kind of like my ultimate that's a lot of ifs and buts and dominoes falling i wonder though with uh snyder's love of uh the Dark Knight, uh, Frank Miller, if he would skip Tim Drake and go right to a Carrie Kelly Robin. But there's this fanboy hope that in 10 years I'll be seeing Tim Drake up there as Batman in the Justice League movie taking over for the aged 50-year-old Batman. <laughs> uh, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> I think it would be kind of cool. I mean, if you know Ben's, what, 41, 42, if they're saying that this Batman's even the same age or just you know a couple years older... He's 41. They're saying he's 45 in the movie. Okay. Um, I think you could still fit in Tim Drake even right now. You know, 
if Dick's alive and Jason's dead, you'd be right around the time frame of Tim finding out who Bruce Wayne is. Um, and a part of me is like, I don't want you to adapt something that everybody knows. And then every single turn of the page of the film, we know, Oh, this is when this happens. Um, and Snyder said, you know, we're not adapting it a hundred percent. We just took certain beats from that. And I think that's okay, but I, I want an original story. And if you are pulling different things, but uh, it scares me to go, well, Dick Grayson was the Joker and, you know, the dark Knight strikes. Well, let's do that. You know, don't pull from one of the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, fiction, but, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm interested, uh, in how this is all going to plan out. But to me, uh, the Joker, I don't want him to be somebody, the instant you put a name to the Joker, he ceases to become the Joker um, and becomes, oh, that's Jason Todd or, oh, that's Dick Grayson. He's not he's not the Joker anymore. He's he's Dick Grayson that went bad. It, I think it's scary when you when the Joker has no past. You know, he's not Jack Napier. He's not, you know, whatever it is. It's this guy that nobody knows. Um, I think once you put a name and a face to the big bad villain – um, it it takes something away. As much as I like Star Wars, once you realize it's Anakin Skywalker, it it changes it a little a little bit. So um, I hope the Joker stays the Joker. And if they do kill Dick Grayson, then I think as a, a Robin fan, that will kind of upset me at one moment. That I will almost have this perfect Batman movie, and you kind of screwed the pooch with the Robin character. But if the story's told well, then you know, I'm not going to, you know, throw stones at the uh, <laughs> movie screen. So, yeah, I'm torn. Um, ex- it excited me to see the Robin costume. Uh, it just scares me what <laughs> they're going to do with the Robin character. Now, do you think the Robin costume has been vandalized with that spray paint? Because I've heard some people speculate that that was the suit that he was in when he was killed. And then others are saying it was a somehow somebody got into that pseudo Batcave-like type place. And... um vandalized it i don't know because if if you've seen some of the like, you know the real nice high-res pictures you can see like a bullet hole and like a knife shot and you can tell that the suit looks like it's been burned seeing them in the context like when we saw just that picture that they released that's when everybody went up all in roar and I, not that i was up in roar about it but i was like yeah i don't know but seeing him in the context of that film like you said it was like that's not too bad and if I was in that room, when he comes walking in, I probably would have crapped my pants, regardless of the tattoos <laughs> yeah. or the teeth or whatever that is. And that looks like a a Joker that's been through the ringer and is ticked off. So, yeah, like you said, that's those are hard shoes to fill. So you either have to do – you're going to get blamed for doing the exact same thing that everybody else has done, or you do what they did and say, we're going to take a left-hand turn. And I, you said it. Also, as well, it's kind of like the Marvel and DC. You know, it's kind of like, and I've liked a lot of the Marvel films. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, I've enjoyed them, but it always kind of feels like it's the it's the safe route. None of the villains have been overly, you know, really diabolical. And people are like, well, you got to bring your kids to it, and it's they're owned by Disney. So, uh, still, all that aside. It's like if the ladder to go jump off on a diving board is 100 feet, Marvel's going up about 65 feet, and wow, that's a high dive. 
I feel yeah. like DC is going up 100 feet and then putting a stepladder on top of it and go, we may fall and hit our face on this pavement, but if we make it into that water, it's going to be such a huge splash. So um, I kind of like that DC and Warner Brothers is going for broke here. Again, I, I like the Marvel movies, but I've always kind of been a DC guy. And I've always kind of liked the more grounded and gritty um DC characters as opposed to the, you know, chuckle side of, you know, the Marvel stuff. Yeah, Marvel is yet to have that villain where you're like, holy crap, if I if he was real and I met him, like you said, I'd crap my pants or I would run or I, I after I watch this movie, I'm going to have nightmares for like a week from this guy. And you I, know, I Heath Ledger Ultron. did that. I thought Ultron was going to be was, was going to be that from those very first uh, trailers that came out, I thought, all right, we're getting a big, bad villain. And he really didn't turn out to be that. Yeah, no. I mean, the the the, the, the closest villains were the ones in um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, I forget the, the, the bald-headed uh, blue girl's name. Uh, she was pretty good, yeah. but not super over the top and then even the hondu but then he turns out he starts helping the good guys and um yeah ultron was kind of comic relief sometimes and he just we just haven't had that uh obadiah in the first iron man was pretty good but you know he didn't last too long whiplash and i'm kind of go through them in my head like they they kind of have good moments and then they just kind of like eh fizzle out you know i thought red skull was was decent in the first Captain America. It took a while to get to Red Skull, but he looked like the sinister villain, but then he kind of went out with a whimper too. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get the, you know, the big knockdown drag out fight between Cap and Skull that I was kind of hoping for. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. Uh, and then what I was saying right before we started recording this is that I go, man, I cannot wait till, you know, March to see this movie, and then a light goes on and says, Rob, what about December? We're getting a Star Wars movie. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And that, as much as I've been watching Batman v Superman stuff and Suicide Squad trailer, I have watched hardly zero stuff for Star Wars. It's not that I don't like Star Wars. I love Star Wars to death. And I just want it to be so good, and I, I want to go in with just a, a fresh look. People are you know, talking to me about characters and I go, I don't know who that is. Like, and you call yourself a star Wars fan. It's like, I want to find out in the theater. Yeah. But, and this may sound bad being a star Wars fan, but I'm not as excited about star Wars as I thought I was going to be. Batman versus Superman and the DC films have me more excited than I've ever been for a movie. And I go, but I am excited to go see star Wars. I, I'm not chopping at the bit. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, sorry, Tim, if you're listening, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not chomping at the bit to go see Star Wars. Um, I asked a friend of mine, if you can only go see one movie, it's either Star Wars or Batman versus Superman. What are you going to go see? And he was like, ah, probably Star Wars. And before he finished his sentence, I'm like, Batman versus Superman. He's like, what? Why? And I was like, because this will be the first time for Batman and Superman on screen. I've seen a lot of Star Wars films. I'm sure this one will be great, and you know you're going to get back with the family again in this new one. But I, my my comic book geekdom is winning out over my, you know, Millennium Falcon geekdom. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm pretty psyched for Star Wars, but 
he, uh, I, the Suicide Squad, I just can't believe all those characters are all going to be taken seriously in a film like that. Um, and then the Batman Superman, I just I, I just can't wait when I, when Superman rips the doors off the Batmobile and then Batman just slowly stands up <laughs> and they're face to face. I mean, I almost died when I saw that. Oh yeah, I I thought that was that a, a buddy of mine said that's the movie of 2015 right there, and I was like, don't you mean 2016? He's like, no. He's like, I know there's so much more to it. He's like, that trailer was so epic. I feel like that is better than half of the movies that I have seen this year in theaters. He's like, that three-minute trailer was better than most two-hour movies that I paid eight bucks for. <laughs> I almost like the trailers better than the movies because they always put the good stuff in the trailers. And then you can like use imagination to fill in all the gaps of and everything. And when you, So a lot of times when you see the uh, movie, it, it, the payoffs are kind of disappointing. Pointing with the trailer, the trailer left a lot of questions. Uh, and why are these people bowing to Superman? Why is there an army? Why is Batman dressed in fatigue? Now, I have heard that possibly a lot of the fighting and a lot of the stuff is a vision that Wonder Woman has. She has a vision of Superman and Batman going to war and the damage it's going to do. So this is what causes her to intervene, which was kind of weird because when I first heard that, I was disappointed. I was like, oh, you mean... It's not real. It's just her imagination. And then I'm thinking, wait, none of it's real. It's all <laughs> fake. It's all. So why am I disappointed that if it's fake and the fake thing that bothers me, but if it's just the fake thing, then I'm okay with it. Right. So I, I think just I think, and psychoanalyzing myself, I think I have a lot of questions why, and I just think the answer of oh, it's Wonder Woman's vision is a disappointing answer so i think that's why it's it's fake but um <laughs> yeah there's a lot because that the heat vision blast that almost takes out batman where he uses his grappling hook he looks a little cgi in it but it's so awesome i totally forgive it because it has the dark knight reference yeah uh, with the lightning and just seeing the grappling hook in action the way it's meant to be not 1989 oh it can't lift batman and kim basinger it's not powerful enough for for that that can't do that um but is that heat blast, you know, is that coming from Superman or is it coming from something else? Did they use Zod's body to make it doomsday? You oh, know, yeah. is it? I mean, there's just so many questions that the Star Wars trailer looked really awesome and it looks cool. And there's a lot of people I'm like, hmm, I wonder who he is. I wonder who he is. You know, the, the African-American actor in the Stormtrooper mm -hmm. outfit. I'm like, is he... A stormtrooper? Is he someone? Is he wearing the stormtrooper outfit like Luke? But <laughs> it doesn't have the questions that Batman and Superman have got me going. Well, trying to answer, you know, it, it, Star Wars looks cool, you know, but it's it doesn't have that same, you know, why, why, what's this, what's this, what's this? I think that's the mark. I think you said it beautifully. That's the mark of a good trailer, or the mark of anything. When somebody walks away mid story and you're going. What, what, what else? And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I got to get going. And you're left on that hanging thing. I mean, I'm not, don't fry me at the stake, people. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, looking at the Star Wars trailer, it's like, oh, it looks beautiful. I want to take this shot and put it on my wall as a poster. And I'm going to, and, and just look at it and admire it for what it is. And I'm going to take this shot off of Batman versus Superman and put it on my wall as a poster and go, well, why is this happening? Why is that happening? What's this over here? I'm not doing that with Star Wars. I don't know if it's because they're trying to play everything close to the chest, but Batman versus Superman, I think, did, ex and Suicide Squad did exactly what a trailer should. 
is leave you wanting more and just the speculations that are are running around with it i i think is just great it's just adding that that fuel and excitement and i i don't almost like the day and age that we're living in like my wife and i were deciding what are we going to go watch the new vacation movie and i'm like i think i've seen it (laughs) out of the 12 trailers that are out there, I think I could cut apart those trailers and put together, oh, here's where they go take the, you know, the mud spring bath. And here's, you know, when, you know, they're fighting in the hotel and, you know, all those things. It's like, I feel like every trailer, they're like, oh, we got to put a new two seconds in. Don't do that. I, if this is the only Batman versus Superman trailer we get and the Suicide Squad trailer, great. I would say if, if I was Zack Snyder, I'd go, we're not releasing another single ounce of footage. We're going to yeah. play this single trailer over and get people so hyped rather than somebody like my brother-in-law that's like, eh, I'll, I'll rent it on Redbox or I'll just download it from the internet. I, you know, get people to go to the theater. Don't feed them so much that they're like, meh. It's kind of like reading comics nowadays. If I just wait a month, I'll find out what happens in this issue. I don't have to go buy it. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, we took the girls to see the Minions movie, and I would say seventy-five percent of it I had seen in the trailers, really? and um, it was the good seventy-five percent. You know, like the the, the so yeah. Uh, hopefully, they don't release too too much, and I, I don't feel like they did that with these movies. I I feel like it's just enough to get you to go, oh man, when can I go see this? <laughs> when, when can I buy a bootleg copy? <laughs> That's right. Oh, well, we could talk about Batman versus Superman uh, all day, and uh, from a look at the counter, we've done pretty good. So we haven't even got into the issue that <laughs> the two issues that we're <laughs> going to talk about. So uh, we'll do that right now. We'll go into the synopsis, and I haven't had the chance to do this in a while. Um, I've got more radio drama, and I've got the uh, radio drama from the BBC. I just sat it down on the ground, so I lost my... Oh, there it is. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the Batman Time Warner audiobooks, Batman The Complete Nightfall Saga, with full radio cast and audio drama. So, uh, to kind of save me some time, like I like to do being in summertime, and then rather you hearing my boring voice and over a music score read you the synopsis, um, I've pulled out of the audio drama the two issues that we are looking at today, being uh, Batman 488 and Batman 489. Uh, the 488 part is really short. It's just a small little blurb between Robin and uh, Azrael, but the bigger chunk is in 489. So this little blurb you're going to hear runs a little bit about five minutes. After that's over, Terrence and I will come back and we'll talk about these two issues. So thanks for tuning into the show, and we will see you guys on the other side.
All right, before we get into the radio drama synopsis, if you will, of these two issues, let me give you the information that I have here from Mike's Amazing World. They just recently updated their website, and it is a lot smoother. Not that it wasn't smooth before, but it was kind of problematic sometimes in trying to hone in the issues you were looking for, but they streamlined everything and it uh, runs really, really smooth. So excellent work, Mike's Amazing World. Uh, The information on these two issues, Batman 488 has a cover date of January 1993. The on-sale date is November 17th, 1992. The cover price is $1.25. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. The title for 488 is entitled Costumes. Uh, writer is Doug Mensch. Artist is Jim Aparo. And the colorist is Adrian Roy. The cover credits go to Travis Charest, if I'm saying his name correctly. And the inker is Ray McCarthy. Again, I love the uh, cover of Robin and Azriel on this. Uh, for 489 has a cover date of February 1993. The on-sale date is... December 22nd, 1992, and everything is basically the same the whole way through, uh, with the obvious exception is the title for this one is Killer Bane. And as I always like to do, Tim Drake Robin, created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick, the Robin costume created by Neil Adams and Norm Brayfogle. And now to the Time Warner BBC radio dramatization of Batman, the complete Nightfall saga that for this part, we'll encompass Batman 488 and Batman 489. I hope you guys enjoy this. Who the... You're Jean-Paul Valley? I'm your trainer. But you're Robin? You were expecting someone else? Well, the Batman said... What's this? You're a training outfit. Not as spiffy as your Asriel does, maybe. But this is for undercover work. While you're putting that stuff on, I'll show you how I picked the lock to your apartment. Lock? And after that, we'll do a little rooftop surveillance. Good afternoon, Mr. Bruce Wayne. Dr. Consolving, how do you do? Please, call me Chandra. Did you say Mr. Drake referred you to me? Uh, no, his son, Tim. Being, uh, well, neighbors, we see quite a bit of each other. You said that you were feeling exhausted, Mr. Wayne. Have you tried complete rest? I guess relaxation is an art that's lost on me. I guess I'm just driven. You need to find your way back to what bugs you deep inside. I have my own intuitive methods first of all you sleep and i'm prescribing you a homeopathic restorative to take before you have some very early nights lousy stinking face brown people pink people black people what you got against green people police are warning members of the public not to approach this guy no the green scaly skin condition isn't catching but he possesses enormous strength since those pictures came in, he's made his way into Midtown Gotham, with the police still keeping their distance. Who is he, Barry? Killer Croc? He's a freak, Bane, with the mother of all skin problems. But like they say, he's strong. Used to wrestle alligators before he decided to become Gotham's new crime lord. Thought he was strong enough to take out the Batman. Thought it would prove his worthiness to lead. Came real freaking close, too. Then maybe it is time to prove my worthiness. Yeah. I will take out this killer croc. And then I will succeed where he failed. Against Batman. <laughs> Alfred! Alfred! Whoa, some place Bruce has got here. Master Timothy, I got your call, but it's no good. Master Bruce is unavailable. Unavailable? Killer croc's on the rampage. 
We gotta do something. Quite impossible. Master Bruce is under doctor's orders to catch up on all the sleep he's lost. And while we both know he could fight his way through anything to get out of that bed, doing so now would be the worst thing possible. But failing the show against Killer Croc? It's like an open invitation to all the weirdos in Gotham City. There's only one Batman, and he needs time to rest and recuperate. Yeah, but they don't know that. What do you mean? We better get down to the cave, Jean-Paul. There isn't a lot of time. Master Bruce, oh dear, dear, even when he's ordered to rest the same nightmare every night. Oh, give him the pearls, Mom. <laughs> he just wants you. And if he knew what was happening tonight oh. in his name, I wonder if he'd ever rest again. Oh. This costume, it feels as though it could have been made for me. Don't get too attached to it, Jean-Paul. The owner doesn't know you're giving it an outing. And if you must talk, remember to try and sound like him. What's in these pouches? Don't touch the utility belt. Full of fancy stuff. Just use your smarts and stick by me. Let's go. Where are you gonna make the call on the croc? I wanted to avoid shooting Mr. Green Jeans, Harvey. You know it only makes him mad. This thing's sad. He's totally out of his swamp. Wait a minute. What is it? Over there on that rooftop. It's Batman. No, wait, it can't be. There's two people up there. Batman. But I haven't seen the kid in months. What kid? Uh, better than ever, too. Primo! Show yourself! Uh, <clears throat> hold it right there. Can it, Willie Jean-Paul? I'll do the talking. Come here, bat thing. Time for your punishment. Even oh. prepare to confess yourself. You face the avenging angel, Azrael. Jump up. Batman, cut it out. His mind conditioning as Azrael is kicking in. This may have been a bad idea. You will pay for your transgressions. <laughs> Correction! This was the lousy idea! And now I gotcha! Tim, Robin, what happened? You screwed up good. Shoot! Who is this? No, you are not him. And who the hell? I came to destroy the killer croc. I thought his madness might bring the Batman out of hiding. But you are not the Batman. I shall destroy him anyway. And you should tell the Batman how easily it was done. Fueled by venom. That thing on his arm. The pipes lead around to the back of his head. He's pumping himself full of some kind of drug. So you got some button blows up like a balloon. I ain't impressed. You are too ugly to hit. So we will try this. Oh, you broke my arm. No. You tell the real Batman what you saw here tonight. Tell him what awaits him. He will scream for mercy. Yep. I remember that. All right, that was the synopsis, and uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. Um, I'm going to be doing it pretty much through uh, this uh, series. Now, somebody had asked me if I'm going to cover all of Nightfall. Uh, No, I'm not. Uh, This being a Tim Drake Robin podcast, if I go into too much of the rest of Nightfall, it's going to get more away from Tim. So 
um, somebody like Terrence or Tim is eventually going to come on here. We'll be looking at the issues that Robin is in, but we're going to end up talking about, you know, the issues around that and everything else. I'm going to try and keep it more Tim Drake focused, but uh, obviously we're going to be talking about Nightfall as a whole. And then you'll hear little blurbs uh, from the uh, audio dramas things uh, fit in. Uh, off the bat, uh, for 488, I absolutely love this cover. It is probably my favorite cover, even though technically it's not uh, a part of the Nightfall like main story. If you buy this, if you go out and buy uh, Nightfall in the collected edition, this issue is not there because it's kind of like the prelude or whatever. But I just think this is a beautiful, beautiful cover. Um, with uh, Robin on the left-hand side of the cover, uh, swinging in, and Azrael. Um, it, it's taken me a little bit to... I was so focused on the uh, cover of you know Robin and Azrael on here, I started looking at it last night and going, is that the moon behind Azrael? Like, Robin's got a line here. What's he attached to? The Wayne satellite? It's like they're up above the air here. But all that being aside, um, I just... I love the cover. I like the way the two of them are on here. And I'm trying to get to my notes. The penciler is Travis uh, Charest. I think I'm saving his uh, saying his name right. But just a beautiful cover. What do you think about this? Well, I had very mixed emotions about this cover when it first came out. And so when it came out... This is right when Image Comics were coming along, and at first, a part of me didn't like it. I have a love-hate relationship with this. I hated it because it's sort of the Image Comics, which before that was sort of the Marvel Comics stylization of Asriel and Robin. Um, So there was a part of me like, oh, you're copying Image, you're copying Marvel – but then at the same point, I'm like, but this is amazing. Like, uh, uh, this is a, like, a beautiful art. It's awesome to see them like this. Um, the artist, Travis Charest, it, it's very similar to like, the Jim Lee, uh, Rob Leinfeld kind of look, especially mm-hmm. um, back then. Um, a lot of my friends were Marvel guys, and Marvel was all about the art. DC was all about the story and the writers. Um, so it was almost kind of like felt like going over to the dark side a little bit. <laughs> but but it looks so good. And seeing Robin stylized like this and seeing Asriel, I thought Asriel – it was the first time I thought Asriel looked really good because I didn't like his artwork in um, – Joe Casada's artwork in yeah. sort of Asriel. So this was, I was like, this is this is awesome. This is really good. And the the artist, I didn't, I don't really know him. I looked him up today, and shortly after he did these covers, and some of his covers I'm not crazy about. No, um, he did go work for Image Comics and worked for Wildstorm and Jim Lee. So he I, he was an Image guy, just you know, on the way there. And you know, Batman kind of stuck in the '70s. If you open this issue. And look at Jim Aparo's art, which I love and mm-hmm. love his art, but it looks exactly the way it did in 1976. Like you could, you know, the printing quality got a little better and stuff, but you could side by side, it looks the same. So to see Robin and Asriel thrust into like a 90s modern day look um, was pretty awesome, even if there was a tinge of, oh man, we copied Marvel. <laughs> um, you mentioned Aparo. I love uh, Aparo's art. But I've never been, this is going to sound like blasphemy, his Tim Drake, I don't like his head. Okay. Um, it, it too looks, oval? <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost too long, and sometimes he draws him almost with a widow's peak. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, like, from the neck down, 
<laughs> I think Robin looks great. Uh, in some shots, he has the face uh, pretty good. Um, I'm jumping way ahead. If you go to page 10, uh, second panel where uh, Tim show opens up his uh, shirt to show his uh, that he's Robin, I don't like the face there. I don't like the face in the second panel. Um especially Jean-Paul's face. I know he's supposed to be drawn as this geeky, you know, uh, skinny guy, which as we get farther into Nightfall, I'm going to have huge problems with that. Um, you know, all of a sudden when he's in the Batman costume, he looks exactly like Bruce Wayne in the chin. I'm like, come on. But <laughs> anyway. Um, you know, Jim Aparo, I love his artwork. Is He's sort of like one of my first artists that I was looking at, you know, death of the family and all that. Yeah. But his faces are very, very similar. And it's almost yeah. like everyone in Gotham city's cousins. Like they're all some giant inbred colony. They were, they're all related. Uh, but yeah, he, he, there's not a lot of differences in his faces, but one of the things I liked, which leads to some stuff that happens later is He's starting to draw Tim Drake looking older. Like, Tim Drake looks like 16 or 17. He's growing up. So in my mind, as I was reading these from where we started and and the first Robin miniseries, you know, Tim's been doing this a couple years. And now he's, you know, going to train Asriel as if he's got a few years under his belt and he's getting older. He's not a little 14-year-old anymore. He's a 16, 17-year-old, which was why... You know, pre-New 52, when they would draw Red Robin sometimes looking like he was 12, I'd be like, what the heck? Really? And then in the New 52, especially in that first Batman, when, when Tim looked so little and so young, you know, my mind here, he'd age, he'd, he's getting closer to 16, 17, he's getting the physique of a man. Um, and I, if you go back to some old podcasts and stuff from, you know, pre-New 52, there was a lot of, like, inconsistencies in the appearance of Tim Drake from book to book and artist mm-hmm. to artist with, you know, just how old and how big he was. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that just really, and again, I, I love, uh, Aparo's art for, for the most part, but especially during nightfall, he was, you know, one of the big contributors to it. Um, that I felt like I was just getting out of high school. I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. So I still kind of felt like Tim Drake was growing up, you know, with me. So I think that really started cementing my, you know, fascination for the Tim Drake character that, um, they did just uh, bump him up a little bit. Um, before we go too far, I know that we've kind of since, uh, not the last podcast, since that was an Arkham Knight podcast, but the podcast before we finished, uh, Robin three cry of the huntress. And then, took a uh, an issue uh, from issue to issue we took about you know a six month jump into the future there were some good you know uh, Tim Drake stories uh, in there but I felt like I wanted I was gonna drag this out so much longer trying to get to the Robin uh, ongoing series so you know we have uh, the sword of Azrael that has happened the vengeance of Bane has already happened uh, that's all in the audio drama but I didn't want to spend too much time talking about um that stuff in a podcast other than maybe some little blurbs here or there because it really wasn't tim drake uh focused um my first uh impressions uh of bane uh were in the nightfall story i didn't like i said i after about issue three i went back and picked up like the sword of azrael and the vengeance of bane um and i think terrence you said you were reading them uh 
from the beginning. Uh, what was your yeah. thought of, you know, seeing seeing Bane for the first time? Did you uh, did you like him? Did you not like him? Because I think he appears in 488, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, there was there was there was a. Um... I guess he had, I can't remember if it was a one shot or a mini series where he first came out. And at this time, you know, Batman 89 had hit. Batman was huge. It was the biggest seller for DC. So there were a lot of Batman titles and guest appearances and one shots and annuals and mini series. So when, when that Bane came out and even sort of Asriel, I kind of just thought, oh, here's another one. Like it, like it didn't. I didn't know it was going to become this big, huge centerpiece of what the editorial staff would have in mind for the next few years, and would lead to all this. So he didn't impress me or overwhelm me or anything in that. I think it was a one shot written by yep. Chuck Dixon. Um, and then in here, it it was more kind of almost like the trailers you talk about, like more questions, like, okay, well, what's going on? What's going to see? I I know. Um, later on, when he comes up with his plan to release all of the, and this is much later on, but to release um, all the inmates of Arkham to wear Batman down, I thought that was genius. I thought, you know, instead of just having Bane beat Batman and everybody go, what the heck, and who is this guy and everything, like, it's cool that Bane is like, I can't beat him. Um, the uh, I'm going to have to, you know, wear him down and, you know, basically cheat. And so 488, I didn't really think much of bane um 489 though is when it has the first cool bane moment where i was like oh yeah so we can get to that a little later um but um yeah 488 just i don't even i'm scrolling through i don't even see him i don't even know i, I thought it wasn't he here. was here yeah for a moment because i spent so much time in 489 yeah bane is not in here uh yeah 488 is basically just the training exercise for uh, Jean-Paul, um, it's Jean-Paul getting a job, and the uh, synopsis that you heard it totally omits all that for the radio drama. Uh, but for here, um, I do have another question in a second, but it's Jean-Paul getting a job that, even as tired and worn down as Bruce is right now, he knows that something fishy is going on in uh, like Wayne Enterprises. So... Uh, he sends Jean-Paul to be a security guard and then is having Tim uh, be the trainer for Jean-Paul to help bring him out of the system. Uh, the question I had, uh, since I don't have uh, the issues kind of before this, where did we start seeing uh, Bruce getting so tired? Because uh, this is, like you said, this is way before uh, the breakout of... Uh, the inmates of Arkham Asylum and Bruce, you know, passes out in the stairwell and Alfred finds him here in this issue. Um, where does that kind of start? Is that in the electric city storyline? You know, that's a good question. Um, it's been so long, it's been, you know, 20 years since I read all these and I, for the podcast, just, um, I downloaded 488 and 489, um, from the app. So yeah, I don't know. It's a good question, but they were setting it up for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of a, a weird thing to see Batman showing weakness like this. It's very different from like the Grant Morrison justice league Batman, who is just almost super powered in what he can and, and can't do. And, um, uh, seeing him collapse on the stairs like this. Um, I know, like going all the way back to 4:30, he was sort of burning himself out a little bit after Jason Todd's death. Right. Um, and I remember, you know, one of the things that Tim Drake 
comes into the story is because he sees Batman going down that path, which is why he's got to step in. But um, this, you know, just can't even, you know, walk upstairs tired. I'm not sure when that um, started. Now I'm going to have to go dig through my back issues and find out. <laughs> yeah, same here. Maybe there'll be an editorial uh, somewhere in the yeah. podcast. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, this is not like oh my gosh this is going to be such a stellar issue but i i like i li- always liked the issues of batman where they didn't have to focus on batman they knew the supporting cast was strong enough to be able to hold it on his own batman's only in you know a, a quarter of this book and it's a lot of robin and uh, azrael in his new spiffy costume and i like the little nods that uh, they put in the azrael costume by telling uh robin tells him at one point you know i put some of the characteristics of my costume into your costume and i even added one of the grappling gun that's wrapped around his wrist a wrist <laughs> his <laughs> wrist wrapped around his wrist and all he has to do is squeeze which would later uh, go into the gauntlets that uh, would fire the uh, discs uh, the bat razor blade discs out and that's how he would use his grappling gun so you can kind of see the early stages of the uh, major Batman costume that Azrael would work with. So I think that's kind of cool how they just kind of set all this in motion. So, um, yeah, those were the uh, comments that um, I had uh, in here for this issue. It's not uh, nothing major, but I thought it was a, a good way to start uh, the Nightfall Robin portion uh, for this podcast. Uh, anything else you have to say about this particular issue? Yeah, I mean, if you were a Batman fan and you just wanted Batman, this would be the worst issue ever because <laughs> it's he's not on the cover except like a little thing there. Um, the only time you see him is basically him talking or passing out on the stairs. Uh, but if you're a Tim Drake Robin fan, it's pretty awesome because it's got lots of Tim Drake. He never does anything wrong or mess up or is just, you know, the stupid kid who gets in trouble, uh, which some writers have Robin do. He actually is training. So you see his experience, you see his knowledge, you see, um, all that he's done. And, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, the only thing I'd say is, uh, you know, one of the knocks on Nightfall for people who come to it late and read it in trade paperback is they feel like every 23 pages, there's a recap every, tw- you know, and right. that's because some of you were joining in. So the first couple of pages are just basically a recap of sort of Asriel. Right. And, um, I did like how John Aparo, um, or is it Jim or John? Jim, Jim. um, Jim, um, the one panel going back to sort of Azrael, he actually drew it a little bit like Casada. You can see the little artistic style in the yeah. cape. Um, that's kind of cool. And then this whole notion that um, the Order of Saint Dumas um, hypnotized him or subconsciously programmed this in him from a little kid. I don't know if this is a dumb or imagination or what, but I remember reading it thinking. Maybe that happened to me. Maybe my parents, maybe I could be a crime fighter. Maybe I have this like knowledge and I could do battle and, you know, maybe, maybe, but unfortunately it, w- it was not to be. But um, maybe you still have the right trigger word. Let's try it. I, I know. Apple, baseball. Yeah. Um, porcupine. <laughs> Hold on. Let me jump out the window. Uh, and, and then, you know, this is very uh, much of the time. And this time there were a lot of biker gangs in God. 
Gotham City, who are always up to no good. They're very one-dimensional. This biker game, biker gang, actually is involved in international uh, corporate espionage, which is kind of <laughs> an interesting thing for a biker gang named the yeah. Skulls. Um, but uh, you know, there's a lot of these. You know, Batman, Robin took down a lot of biker gangs back then. The <laughs> Ghost up- Dragons. I mean, if you listen to yeah. this podcast uh, frequently enough. Uh, we just talked about the Ghost Dragons, which was a biker gang. And then in Robin 1, that's where he has the biker game. Uh, the Electric City storyline that I omitted uh, from the podcast, which is good. It's got the electrocution in it. But his henchmen are a biker gang. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty good. Uh, something that you and I had talked about uh, back during Robin 1, we were talking about Robin's slingshot. Like... I don't think he's ever used a slingshot other than this issue, other than Robin 1, the miniseries. And then getting into this book, I'm like, holy crap, he's using his slingshot again. Yeah. He gives uh, Jean-Paul his staff, which I love Robin's staff. And then Robin, it doesn't say it or anything, but uh, uh, Jean-Paul's like a slingshot. He says, just chill out and follow my move. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's using the slingshot again. So that made me chuckle. I thought, you know, I'm never going to run across it. If Tim ever uses this slingshot again, well, here he does. So, Yeah, you know, one of the things I take away from the issue, which kind of always bothered me about Nightfall, too, and I'm just going to assume that anyone listening to this has read Nightfall. Um, like, Jean-Paul Valley goes nuts at, at the end of Nightfall, and I always thought Tim Drake was essential to that story because he's our window into it. Like, we're seeing it through Tim Drake's eyes. And in the the comic panel, you know, it's one thing to see it, but to have Tim react to it is what really makes you realize it's hideous and stuff. But, you know, reading this all along, I don't see this out of John Paul Valley. Like, he's a nice guy. He's likable. He's walking down the street in his uniform. Even here when they're fighting, you know, he jumps into the action, but he doesn't, like, go crazy and snap guys' necks and, you know, stab him with the bow staff or something. And, and so that's why, like, in Nightfall, when John Paul kind of does, you know, know kind of lose it and does kind of um take it to an extreme it always that never really seemed in character to me because i knew him from here this was my introduction to him and so i just sort of seemed forced by the writers as opposed to naturally with the the character uh yeah i i will be in agreement with that a hundred percent um, after a while, since I'd had the audio drama, I had converted it to you know a CD and later to MP3. Every now and then, if I'm cleaning the house, I'll just like oh, I'll I'll put it on just as background noise. They really play up the system uh, messing with John Paul, uh, just like we heard in our audio drama. You hear um, him go defier, betrayer, by the order of Saint Dumas. You that whole speech. As he's fighting, that's not in here in this. So I like that the radio drama uh, gives you the impression that he is constantly afflicted by the Order of Saint Dumas through the whole entire radio drama. But that's not that's not really brought out into the comic. So every time I read the comic, I'm going, "Well, where's that part where he's just constantly talking to the system?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's in the radio drama." So yeah, I I agree. By the time we and get to, you know, pardon the language, but Billy Badass is Jean-Paul, you <laughs> yeah. know, that he's afflicted by the uh, system at that point. It feels like it's a light switch at that point. It's not something that he has been struggling with, you know, for 40-some issues. Yeah. And um, I really liked on page 11 that imagery of Batman meditating because it, it goes back to his, like, 
Asian training and his, you know, Asian martial arts. And it wasn't just learning to fight. He learned all kinds of things from him. And that whole like art of the dot turning into the box overflowing with blood. I mean, it's pretty like it, it kind of hits you when you read it. And then you look and you're like, well, it's just a dot. It's just red. It's not. But it, it, it was, that was a pretty cool imagery. I, I really like that. And then, of course, the issue um, ends on uh, Chandra consolving. Uh, she is mentioned one time in, um, I can't remember the issue, it was a few episodes back where Tim moves out of Wayne Manor and they mentioned Chandra consolving for the first time. Um, I believe this is the first comic appearance of her. I'm sure somebody's going to correct me if I'm wrong and maybe I'll do an editorial on this if I find out um, th- that I am, in fact, wrong. But I thought it's kind of a... Um, a cool beat to end on that Bruce is having to seek out help. Like I, I can't even meditate myself out of this, that he has to uh, find uh, other means uh, to try and overcome his fatigue. Yeah. And I, I don't like her. Um, nothing for her specifically. I just thought the writers did a bad job because with her, uh, the second that her and Bruce got romantically connected, this is down the line. I knew that's like, the clock is ticking on her because <laughs> she, she's going to be gone soon. And then um, I thought for sure she'd get killed. And then at some point real early on, she says something about how like, oh, well, I just touch people and they they feel better. I've always had this healing thing. And I'm like, well, that's how they're going to heal them. Like, yeah. it just seems so obvious right away that they already planted this seed that and then I thought for sure they'd kill her, which they don't. And then what ends up happening to her nightfall uh it just like she gets like the mind of an infant or something which yeah. now i don't know if it's you know 20 years later if she's you know 60 is she got the mind of a 20 year old i don't know if she's <laughs> permanent or why they you never i don't think they ever come back to her no. anytime ever so like seeing knowing her ending now coming back it's just kind of like uh and i i think they i think they the writers dropped the ball because i think they had potential for a really good character who could have been really interesting um you know if they you know just did um developed her a little more as a human being instead of just this you know um uh device to make other things happen in the story yeah i i agree it's <laughs> she's kind of like the planet krypton her only yeah. purpose in this is to well, quote unquote, blow up. You know, yeah. You, you get to fix the hero, and at the end, you're a, a shell of yourself. She, she is very one dimensional, but um, yeah. It, well, like once the romance started, like you said, it was like, oh, honey, <laughs> you're you're now a time bomb. <laughs> yeah, and then you know when uh, Grant Morrison did his run and he introduced Jezebel Jet, I saw it's kind of similarity, and what he did with Jezebel Jet was so much better and so cooler and just the whole yes. twist of her being bad and then Batman knew it all along and was playing her all oh, that was just so awesome. So Jezebel Jet is how it could should be done. Yes. This this is the easy way. This is the, the Tesseract in uh, the Marvel <laughs> universe. It kinda does whatever we want whenever we need it to do it and that's yeah. Yeah. Is there a manual on this thing? No, no. It's just whatever you want. You want yeah. you want fries with it, you'll get fries with it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go on to uh, 489 here. Um, this one is sadly missing from my collection. I go to conventions, or, or conventions, collections. I'll go to conventions every now and then, and I, every time I see 489, I want to pick it up just so I can be a completist and have it. But um, I had to get this one uh, digitally to uh, read for the podcast. And uh, when I was... Uh, reading it, I thought, 
did I have the right issue? Because it basically starts off with kind of like a killer croc uh, storyline. I'm like, well, Bruce was just talking to Chandra. Why? <laughs> like, what's going on here? And then I quickly realized, is it now snowing in Gotham City? Because when uh, Tim and Jean-Paul were swinging through the city, it wasn't snowing. So Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like whenever December issues were coming out, it was wintertime in, in Gotham somehow. <laughs> but then yet the seasons and aging don't work the same way they do in real life in uh, uh, comics as in real life. I, I couldn't speak there for a minute. But <laughs> yeah, um, this cover I do not like. Same no. artist. Some of it. Uh, the Robin in the background is kind of cool. The... Um, like TVs are kind of cool, but Batman's body's cool, but his face is weird, and the whole Killer Croc and Bane's body is just off, and the giant underpants on Killer Croc. I thought you were gonna say Killer Crotch, cause yeah, yeah. it's like look at my red trunks, they're right yeah. here. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and he, he this, you know, I think this might have been the first Killer Croc comic I ever read, which. He's very sympathetic in this issue. He's just like a disturbed mental patient who's been made fun of his whole life. So I've, I think I've always had a soft spot in Killer Croc because I felt, you know, like this was my first introduction to him that, you know, he was just really mistreated and treated badly and is eating rats in the sewer like the poor guy um, and not some horrible monster with a bad New Orleans accent. Um, and and so that kind of kind of tainted me a little bit on him and uh, Suicide Squad. I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how they, they do that. Had you ever heard of Killer Croc before this one? No, I had This was my first introduction to Killer Croc. Uh, my, my technical first introduction to Killer Croc was uh, in the issue, um, I think it's part four, where Robin is tied up in Killer Croc and uh, Bane are fighting in the sewer. So that was the first Killer Croc I had. Then I, you know... Um, end up finding this issue later on at a friend of mine's house. So yeah, I, I had never heard of killer croc before, uh, nightfall. So, um, it, it did make me, uh, kind of have a soft spot for killer croc. I'm like, he's just misunderstood, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know he was in the animated series and I'm pulling it up. It says he was introduced in 1983. His first issue was the same issue with Jason Todd, but he was, uh, kind of had a cameo. So I don't think he would have been used a lot at this point. And I don't think, cause this is before the animated series as well. Right. And his appearance is very different in this one. And I'm thinking of the Batman villains, even going all the way back to, you know, 1939 killer croc has probably been portrayed more different, different sizes, different colors, different appearance, different, everything, more variety, uh, or inconsistency, if you want to call it, than any of Batman's villains. Even, you know, some of it, like Catwoman and Joker have had different looks, but they've been fairly consistent for 75 years of, you know, publication. Him, for only, you know, 30 years, uh, he looks quite different, including the giant underpants on the cover. <laughs> yeah. Um, at times, you know, he looks like the lizard from, you know, the Spider-Man series or the Marvel you know, universe. So I always kind of took it like they, they thought they had a good character, but it was like, no, oh, this, it's not quite right. It's not quite right. Um, you know, uh, the hush version of killer croc, you know, is completely different, uh, than this version of killer croc. Um, I, I think 
a lot of us are still partial to the animated series. You know, one of my favorite Killer Croc lines is when um, they're all sitting around, uh, the villains are sitting around a table playing cards, and, you, you know, you find out that uh, Bruce Wayne or Batman is dressed up as Killer Croc, and they're all talking about, you know, how they would, you know, kill Batman, and Croc's line is, oh, you could hit him with a rock. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that. But uh, uh, looking at this digitally, I don't know uh, what panel it is you were uh, talking about it, where he's eating the rat. Um, it, he looks so depressed, like it almost as he's looking at the camera or you, the viewer, going, I'm having to eat this rat. Do you see how disgusting this is? Yeah, the bottom at, of page four, yeah. Yeah, you just look at it and go, oh, it's, I feel so bad for him. Yeah. And he's he's not hurting anybody. He's not out trying to kill anybody or do anything. And even when he is rampaging, he's basically like a Frankenstein or, or a Godzilla just rampaging. He he's just he, he he's been so mistreated by people. His his mind is gone. He's just sort of a sick, sad thing, um, which I think surprised me when I saw the animated series for the first time. And he actually had intelligence and could speak and had plans and and things. Um, so I definitely prefer the. Arkham video game version of Killer Croc or the animated series version or any other version that's ever existed (laughs) than this version right here. But I believe this was my first introduction to the character. So somehow deep down, I always feel like he's, he's, uh, you know, sympathetic. Um, we get a little bit more of, uh, uh, it's basically like a long speech between Bruce and Chandra. Um, uh, what this could be just wrapped <laughs> wrapped up in one sentence yeah. is like, Bruce, you're tired. Uh, whatever it is that you're doing uh, to pull from the Dark Knight Returns, if you're hella skiing, um, <laughs> yeah, you know you you need to take some rest and you take some medicine and uh, you know I think Bruce says you know I guess I'm just driven, you know just kind of just being real aloof, not wanting to tell. Um, I, it, it plays into the story uh, much later that uh, uh, Chandra is also the physician attending to Jack Drake since he's paralyzed, which when we got to you know Nightfall where Bruce gets healed, I always thought, what if it had happened the other way, that she was there and ended up healing Jack instead of Bruce? You know, Would we have still been left with Jean-Paul? Would they have found another way? Or would Bruce have had to go into a hole and let some guy in, you know, Egypt uh, <laughs> yeah. punch his vertebrae back in, you know? <laughs> I do love in this whole uh, Arboretum Botanical Garden scene, though, where she, well, like what doctor would say this? She's like, well, what does she say here? Um, you know, you're seeking treatment rather than taking an assault rifle and into some shopping mall. Like, who would say that? And yeah. then he, he's just like, I hate guns. Like, you know, yeah. like, like, not like, oh, I would never kill everyone in the shopping mall. He's like, I hate guns. I'd snap their necks or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, so hard. I hate guns. Yeah. Well, to piggyback on that is, you know, I hate guns. Is, is there anything you should know? And he's like, my parents were murdered when I was young. Yeah. She's like, oh, that's right. I forgot. And this is the part that's like, you're aware of my background. You're Bruce yeah. Wayne. Yeah. You are Bruce Wayne. You know, you have Wayne Tower. Everybody has read about you. Everybody knows that your parents yeah. you know, are dead. And he's like, you know about my past? <laughs> yeah. And she completely forgot about it. Yeah. Even though they set up this meeting a week ago or whatever it was, and she's had time and all that. And then she remain, remembers in remarkable detail in uh, six different panels on page nine all about Vicki Vale's article about it. So, you know. Which I always wonder, 
if that was written in there for the fans of the 89 film. Like, hey, Vicki Vale did this piece on Bruce Wayne in you know, the film. And mm-hmm. at the time, you know, watching the uh, movie, I thought, man, they wrote this really original character. Then I found out, wow, Vicki Vale appeared in the 1940s, you know, TV, you know, serials, and she was a real comic book character. So yeah. um, I, I imagine that, you know, she wrote about uh, Bruce Wayne in the comics, but I thought that was probably a nod to, hey, you people that are excited about Batman because of the 89 film, we're going to do a little wink wink for you. Yeah, because this would have been before. Brit- turns came out maybe i don't know or or at least they would have been writing it and making it probably before returns where she was dropped but yeah they did bring her back in the comics a little bit i mean there was one issue where batman was like at her hospital bed revealing on the cover he was going to reveal his secret and then that never happened in the issue which you know surprise what's on the cover is not always in the issue right Uh, but yeah they were you could tell they were like forcing it in but it seemed like they really didn't want to and then they i think when returns came out and she wasn't in it it quickly she quickly was yesterday's news until jim lee brought her back in um uh was it hush or was it the the frank miller one there i think it was the frank, frank miller, miller one. one yeah yeah where she's like in her bra and panties and like yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah and she appeared uh again right around 89 I think because of the movie, uh, it was when Tim becomes Robin. That's when the Scarecrow kidnaps her uh, and uh, Tim, and he's uh, or Batman and uh, Vicky Vale rather. And Tim comes in and saves the day. So I think that's one of her, at least chronologically, as far as this podcast is concerned. That's been the last visual appearance, on other than this mention, she hasn't appeared uh, since. Is she in any of the Arkham games? Yes. Uh, she's okay, yeah. been in three of the Arkham games, yeah. Okay. So she makes her way here and there. Yeah. She's she's Bruce's lowest lane. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is what I was thinking of. Um, again, I apologize for not having the page number here. We uh, see Bane and Bird. and <laughs> uh, Bane's henchman I always thought was weird. Okay, we're going to name this guy named Bird. And he, <laughs> no, has, Bird. he has a falcon, <laughs> and the falcon's name is Talon. Um <laughs> Yeah. So uh it always uh, made me funny that uh or made me funny. It made me laugh to see Bane in his like a unitard here with his hairy shoulder arms and uh <laughs> and neck and everything and after a while if you follow night fall long enough somebody was like I'm tired of drawing the hair on Bane's shoulder so maybe he just shaved. I don't know why <laughs> yeah. that I every time I would look at some of these older issues I'm like man Bane was hairy and then you know he yeah. he shaved. <laughs> Well, yeah, this is, uh, it's on page 10 that you're talking about. So now a couple things. So I didn't realize that Bird was Talon. But um, so if Bird, the guy, is his henchman, and it's impossible to shave your own back. So do you think he's the one who shaved Bane's back or do you think he went for a waxing? <laughs> uh, you know, if you got that many henchmen, if you want to be part of this club, uh, here is a razor and a can of shaving cream. Yeah. <laughs> Sign up. It's initiation yeah. time, buddy boy. Uh, and then the other thing is someone needs to retcon this and do a story because if the bird is Italian, there's got to be a court of owls, Italian connection somewhere in there that someone could retcon. Oh, easily. Yeah. But it's not an owl, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe this is kind of like an offshoot. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe bird founded the court of yeah. the owls somehow. <laughs> somehow, uh, some way. 
And then here on the next page is page 11, which this is what I wanted to say about Alfred. You see Bruce is exhausted. He's tired. He can't get up. He hasn't done any Batman stuff in like weeks, but yet he's exhausted. I don't know what he's doing that's got him so exhausted, but he's it's some kind of mental thing here. But Alfred's doing the dishes. Like Alfred's not exhausted. If anyone in that manner should be exhausted, it should be Alfred. He's doing everything. He's cooking. He's cleaning. He's got to clean the whole thing himself because they want to play dress up and be superheroes. So they can't hire any other staff to find out. Yet he. <laughs> Every every panel you see him, he's dwarking. He's either preparing food or cleaning or doing something. Yeah, he keeps on chugging. Yet Bruce, you know, is <laughs> going to sleep through the the mall rampage. So I just feel bad for Alfred. Oh yeah, not only cleaning Wayne Manor, but he's got he's not taking the service elevator. He's walking all the way down the flight of steps and then walking all the way back up. And then Bruce scares him on the steps, dumps his trace. So now Bruce, now Alfred's uh, cleaning the steps down into uh, the Batcave. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not tired at all, though. Just keeps on going. Um, something that um, I had forgotten this happened in this issue. This is the first uh, appearance of Jean-Paul in the Batman costume. I didn't, for some reason I had blocked this out and thought it had only happened, you know, after Bruce had had his back broken, but it actually happens, uh, in this. And then the part I was talking about, uh, real quick, um, you'll probably be able to tell me the panel number here. Uh, we see the Superman armbands on their shoulder. Um, mm-hmm. so in the previous issue, they're not there. So, um, kind of like in between and for the issues for a while, um, until Superman comes back, a, a nice little tip to the hat that DC did across the board. Everybody is wearing Superman armbands, which I thought was uh, a nice little uh, cool touch if you didn't know Superman was dead. Um, but I don't know the page number here, uh, so maybe you could help me out. But Tim is holding the Batman costume uh, in his arms, and the panel I'm reading at says, And ears. Um, more training on the fly, but I'm going to uh, play the pupil and you're going to seem like the teacher. In my digital image, Tim is holding, or Robin is holding the Batman cowl. Half of it is green and half of it is red. It is not blue at all. The colorist forgot to color in the uh, cowl to be blue. So it looks like it's part of Robin's costume. Is it wrong on your copy as well? It is. It is. And I didn't notice it until you said that. And I wonder if that's in the issue as well or just the digital issue. But, yeah, um, that's on oh, – I just lost the page there. Um, but, yeah, that's that's weird. It's on page 13. 13. Uh, and those armbands um, were actually part of the Superman story, the um, funeral for a friend. Mm-hmm. And the one – I forget what issue number, but there was an issue that came bagged. And the armband was in the bag, so you would you would get one of those armbands when you bought the issue. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's something I just uh, noticed there in the coloring. I noticed it last night, and I don't have this act- actual physical issue. So if I come across it, that's gonna be one of the first things I look at to see, because you know some of them they'll go through, and for the um, you know digital stuff they'll go through and they'll re-enhance everything. So I half wonder if that was just a mistake in the digital transfer or if it was something that um, was in the original print. Yeah. It was probably, I don't know, my guess would be original print and it just wasn't worth it to fix it because yeah. this is kind of a forgettable issue to some regards. Um, but um, I do love, once again here, John Paul Valley, um, you know, doesn't, um, 
like the order of St. Dumas training doesn't snap in here really like he doesn't really go on that crazy Asriel rampage here um, which once again later on is kind of surprising that he does yeah um, we and I get the impression uh, from people and then the audio drama kind of makes a notation of it too that a lot of people haven't seen Batman and Robin together the police even notice uh, that Batman and Robin, or Batman and his junior partner. So um, Robin, as far as people were concerned, uh, was gone for quite a while. Obviously, you know, we as fans know, they were referring to Jason Todd. And throughout Nightfall, people kind of make comments about Robin that he's... It's like, oh, there's there's Batman's partner. You know, we haven't seen him in a while. So I like that they kind of kept that... Those, those little, you know, history little beats or those little nuggets for us fans to know that, you know, this is the first time that a lot of people are seeing the Tim Drake Robin character or a Robin character in a in a while. So I've always thought that was uh, a neat little piece there. Maybe I'm just yeah. geeking out for something stupid. But uh, we have the fight with uh, Killer Croc. And if I first read this, I'm like, man, he is just attacking this blonde guy in this, uh, you know, brunette guy in a shopping mall and i realized oh it's mannequins and he's yeah. he's thinking that the mannequins are still taunting him so just another one of those little sympathy beats that we get for a killer croc here yeah um seeing jean paul uh in the batman mask um it does look like bruce wayne that's something that uh, even going into the uh batman reborn storyline where dick grayson becomes batman they always still drew him like whoever the writer was was currently drawing Batman, just drew Batman like he had always drawn, rather than change the face a little bit. So if you didn't know that that's Dick Grayson or that's Jean Paul, it's not like okay, Batman has a square jaw. Now we're going to kind of round the jaw a little bit. Yeah, so that's probably a nitpick, but at least for me, it's like I kind of wanted to know that that's somebody different in there. That it it should seem different to somebody. What they should have done is like you know how Batgirl's got that cut out in the back of her head so she can let her red hair out. They should have put a cut <laughs> I know out. What you're gonna say? To let, yeah, his John Paul's blonde mullet out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> mullet Batman. Yeah. Which you know at at the time you know by the time Superman comes back he has his mullet. Jean Paul mm-hmm. is still Batman. So both Superman and Batman both have mullets for a very brief time uh, in the DCU. I don't think that's ever happened since. <laughs> nice. Yes. I always tell my wife I can't wait for the mullet to come back. I'm going to grow it immediately. She just says it'll never come back. So how sad. Uh, I'm just waiting for hair to come back. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, I thought this was a, a pretty good uh, issue. Um, uh, the last uh, bit of this is just a, uh, a fight, uh, between Killer Croc, Batman and Robin. Of course, Bane jumps in and then we get, uh, the breaking of Killer Croc's, uh, arms here, um, which looks very, very brutal, uh, brutal, <laughs> very brutal <laughs> in, uh, it looks like page 20 here. Um, and it looks even more twisted. Um, I'm trying to find the uh, panel here where his elbow, yeah, um, where, uh, again, I don't have the page number here on my digital. Page um, 21. Page 21, yeah. where you can see his like elbow pointing the other direction, then uh, Bane kicks uh, Killer Croc right in the stomach, right through the uh, plate glass window at the very end. So uh, 
I thought this would have had to have been really creepy for um, Tim to see this big, huge thug, you know, come up to them and basically say, you know, I know he's the imposter. You tell the real Batman that I'm coming for him. Um, Tim had to have been at this point thinking, holy crap, I just had this new guy dress up as Batman and we are both going to get killed here from this guy. Um, I remember thinking, I don't know how Robin's going to get out of this one because Jean-Paul can't fight worth a darn (laughs) right now. (laughs) He gets taken out by Killer Croc, which he probably shouldn't have been, but uh, Bane's going to totally kill him. So I just like how Bane does the, you know, the the big bad uh, guy moment where he's like, you tell your boss I'm coming for him and just walks menacingly out and turns his back to him knowing well, I know you're not going to jump me because you know right now what I just did to Killer Croc, I can do to you too. Yeah, when I read this today, and even when I read it back, you know, 20 years ago, I, Bane was just so badass here. I was like, holy cow! Um, that's why it's so disappointing to see him in Batman and Robin as the, you know, um, whatever he was in that. Yeah, Monkey. because this was the Bane here to me, and I could see the Dark Knight Rises Bane kind of doing this. He just he just takes down Killer Croc so easily, and then he knows that that's not really Batman, Just and he's like, and just walks away. He's like, you know, and, and then the very last panel is Bruce in bed, you know, sweating and saying, please help me, and you're like, well, there really isn't a Batman. Like, he's not Batman anymore. That's not Batman. So we're in trouble here. So, you know, I, I, and I always wondered how Bane could get so buff and even without the venom, when all he does is just sit around and watch TV with bird or, or, you know, like he does a lot of couch potatoing for a guy who's really fit. Um, but, um, you know, that's what villains did back in the nineties. They just sat around and watched the news waiting for stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, I, this, you know, got me excited back then to know what's coming, where are we going with Nightfall, what's going to happen, who's this Bane guy, and um, it it makes me want to, like, read Nightfall again. It makes me want to just pick up the next issue and keep going. Yeah, I, it's, this was like the, like I said, the first comic book series that I had picked up um, and read, um, and I'm glad I didn't have the internet back then, because I was surprised at every turn and just going, I don't know how Batman's going to get out of it. And once we get the breakout in Arkham and going, you know, you've, you've just had this new Robin for a fraction of a minute in, you know, comic book terms. You can barely stand. You're not wanting to let Robin do anything. So here's this guy that's going out. I wouldn't even say nightly. It's kind of like the Arkham video, video game. It feels like everything is happening in this one giant day. And... Uh, Bane's just very methodical and like, I'm going to let you run yourself to the very last ounce and then that's when I'm going to pounce. So, um, yeah, this just, this makes me want to just keep reading it. And, uh, I, you know, I'll say, well, we're not going to cover every single issue of the podcast, but you know, there's going to be so many beats to talk about. Um, uh, I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty much these two issues. I thought it was a good way to kind of get into part of the uh, Nightfall storyline. Again, like I said, I'm going to basically focus more of what Tim is doing during the Nightfall, and then obviously we're, we'll talk about the things that are happening um, out and around. But you know, with so many issues uh, to cover, this podcast is going to go on for you know months. Um, 
I'm telling uh, Terrence this uh, right here, whether it stays in the show or not. Uh, the next thing I would like to look at is Detective Comics uh, 657 and uh, 658 um, as Detective Comics and Batman were going back and forth uh, telling the story bi-weekly. So it's one of the last little uh, adventures that uh, Tim is doing uh, as Nightfall is going on. So that's one of the next things I'm going to look at, and then we'll, we will be full steam ahead uh, into uh, the proper uh, Nightfall story, and we'll kind of jump more into the uh, the Tim Drake portion. So you have any uh, uh, closing thoughts on these two issues or just kind of uh, the setup for Nightfall in general, Terrence? Yeah, the thing I would say is, you know, these, these issues are definitely designed to set up events in the future and set up nightfall but i think um as a tim drake fan or as someone who wasn't a tim drake fan but was you know just reading them you've got to like the way tim drake is portrayed in these issues and if you weren't a fan you'd become a fan because he's not just another damsel in distress for batman to save or he's not the one to you know mess up and batman's got a you know all the robin cliches that we've seen um in the past he's actually you know intelligent he's a vital member he's athletic he's training he's skilled he's aware of what's going on he's as a young kid reading it or you know a teenager you know he's kind of your hip and, and you know um kind of a cool guy uh and so you know, as Tim Drake fans, this is kind of what you point to and go, this is why he's a good guy. This is why he's a hero. This is why he's, you know, someone who, you know, we want to play his character in the, the video game and buy his action figure <laughs> for because uh, he's not, you know, I hate when Robin's just the the guy who messes up, gets captured and Batman has to save him. Yeah. Um, and they lay the groundwork. At, I think the writers during this time, whether you're you say this is the greatest Batman story ever told or not. I'm not saying that, but the writers did such a good job by the time Jean-Paul takes over as Batman and Tim has to go out on his own that I remember kind of reading the months before that Robin was going to get a solo title. I'm like, how is Robin going to get a solo title and it be effective? Even though I was really hoping for that to happen with the miniseries that by having Bruce Wayne out, you kind of, We've had this whole setup for the whole run through Nightfall and even prior going, Tim's ready. And yeah. with Bruce going, you know, you're just not quite ready yet. You're not quite ready yet. Well, Bruce isn't there to tell him you're not quite ready. Tim has to know on his own, I got to go. I can't be around this Batman. I've, I've, I now have my car. I'm ready to roll on my own. And uh, being a Robin fan and reading Robin number one and going, oh, finally, Tim a Robin character is in his own book. So uh, that's going to be a highlight to get there. We've got a few more things to go through for nightfall and some last few, uh, character beats for Tim and some hardships that Tim's going to have to face knowing, uh, soon his mentor is going to be at a point where he can't be his mentor anymore. So, uh, we'll talk about those things, but, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. I want to say a big thank you to Terrence for coming on the show. And again, buddy, anytime you want to come on the show, it is a delight to have you on here and get to talk some classic Batman and Robin comics with you. Well, hopefully we can, you know, after your star Wars comments, Tim might hunt us down and, <laughs> <laughs> he'll he'll he's, he'll become our bane, you know. I'll just see, see this lightsaber coming after me I, in the middle of the night or something. But yeah, it, 
yeah. If he doesn't take us out, then I'll definitely be back. Excellent. Uh, I know I had initially asked, uh, I was going to try to get the three of us on here for this issue. And he said he didn't, you know, have these uh, ones, but he said, once we get into nightfall, he's like, he would like to do a, a pseudo bat fans, uh, reunion for, uh, certain parts of the, the nightfall, uh, storyline. So, uh, maybe Tim right now is sending me an email going, dear Rob, you just said some derogatory comments <laughs> yeah. about star Wars that you would hang a poster on it and have no questions. Tim, I have questions. <laughs> yeah, when he comes on, we should just pretend like we we hate the Star Wars trailer. Oh, that, I, look, I, it looks awful. I mean, oh, the Millennium Falcon looks so cheesy. You think they'd retire that old ship by now? Yeah, you know? I'm just waiting for Harrison Ford to find the Crystal Skull. I mean, just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think he will throw his headphones and smash them to the floor. So. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. well cool. with the R two D two. Come on, yeah. yeah. I get it. Luke, your hand's been chopped off. Blah, blah, blah. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> Leia, don't put the bikini on. Seriously, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. And uh, provided there's no more family vacations and uh, that uh, going on, this uh, should hopefully be around. Uh, there'll be hopefully a second episode uh, in the month of uh, August. Um, trying to kind of get some other things lined up. But, um, if not, uh, you will always be guaranteed uh, one a month, and I'm trying to make it more of a bi-monthly podcast. So we will see you guys, hopefully in a couple weeks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This has been brought to you by the TheBatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips, as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.